Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In my 27 years as a Victorian policewoman, I investigated everything from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. Policing taught me a lot about human nature, which I explore in my podcasts with a variety of fascinating guests discussing the human side and impact of crime, not only on their lives, but mine as well. My podcasts are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. If you find yourself affected by my subject matter, please contact Lifeline or any other support, service or person that you feel comfortable with. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs and not everyone will agree with them. I understand that and I hope you do too. Thank you. You know, you never ever forget that sort of stuff. Um, I, I could still draw a lot of those scenes out without having to refer to any notes or anything. You know, it's still very, very clear memories of those sort of things. Well, hello, everybody. And, uh, yes, I'm back after a couple of weeks off. I've recharged my batteries. And uh, I've been doing a fair bit of work uh, finding some great guests for the next couple of months. Anyway, I know you heard Peter Bellion while I was away. Uh, That was a previous podcast that I'd done. But I've also done one recently with him and it was because of the the spate of um, bus and truck crashes of recent times here in Victoria and New South Wales. And it just made me think that it was time that we had another chat to this amazing man (laughs) who uh, was and still is most likely one of Australia's most knowledgeable experts in the field of major collision investigations. And, of course, I refer to Peter Bellion, the lovely Peter Bellion. And just a bit of a, a heads up, a warning, that today we're talking about road trauma and examination of those scenes. We're not talking so much about Uh, the uh, horror at the scenes. It's more about examination of the scenes. Look, it just may not be suitable for for some of you affected by uh, road trauma. So just think if it's okay for you or how you are today at dealing with it. But Peter was an accident reconstruction expert with Victoria Police and he spent most of his 30-year career measuring, photographing, Uh, reconstructing and providing expert opinion to the courts, to government bodies and organisations. He attended 
over 2,000 fatal car accidents and 20 police road deaths, and he was instrumental in the introduction of speed cameras here in Victoria, saving too many lives to put a number on, really. Uh, Peter was constantly exposed to gut-wrenching sadness and grief, which was present at every single one of those fatal accidents he attended, culminating in him being ill health retired in 2016 with chronic PTSI, post-traumatic stress injury. His bottle just overflowed. His bucket was full. He'd just, he'd had enough. But Peter hasn't stopped loving what he did for 30 years and he's still closely involved in many aspects of road trauma. And he has continued to be a fierce advocate in trying to keep us and our roads safer. Peter attended some of Victoria's most horrendous road fatalities, including the Kerrang rail disaster in 2007, when a truck crashed into a passenger train, killing 11 and injuring 23 others. He was involved in the Burnley Tunnel, which he goes to in quite detail today. Um, That was an inferno where a truck collided with several vehicles, resulting in an explosion and subsequent fire, killing three motorists and the fatal crash that he attended of mammoth proportions in Cardross near Muldura, where six young teenagers were killed by a driver who ploughed into them as they walked along the road. So I wanted to chat to Peter about um, this spate of heavy vehicle crashes and just get some thoughts on him about what happens at scenes like this, how you manage the mayhem. Uh, the people rushing to help, the friends and family and acquaintances who arrive, often hysterical, wanting information and all very understandable responses. So, Pete, thank you yet again. Um, for this is uh, take two because we've had a recording a podcast with you before, but I thought it was time we had you back. So thanks for joining us, Pete. Thanks, Narelle. Glad to be here. No worries. Um what have you been doing the last 18 months? <laughs> oh, yeah, keeping pretty busy. Been uh, obviously with the president uh, at the Port Melbourne Life Saving Club. So I've got over a 1,000 members there. Um, so I oversee the whole management of the club, basically, and the governance of the club and do spend a lot of time on the beach keeping people safe. Uh, had uh, three pretty – and I've also been flying uh, – drones for Lifesaving Victoria as a remote pilot uh, in the remote pilot aerial service uh, over the mostly the peak part of summer okay. um, and some of the pre and post season stuff. So, yeah, had a had three pretty unfortunate incidents that I had to go to uh, this last season in regards to those. And, um, yeah, I, I ended up doing – there was one an 85-year-old guy that I pulled out of the water and turned out he had an aortic aneurysm and – Basically, was full on hands on CPR for twenty minutes with him. So uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately, he he didn't make it. But uh, mm. out of uh, four major incidents that I had, um, where there was you know serious first aids, uh, three of them were still alive, and yeah, one went unfortunately. And I had a couple of nasty searches too, where yeah. they weren't a good results. Um, one at Gunnamatta and um, one down at Morty Alec. But uh, yeah, so rest Gee. in peace to those souls. Gee, Pete, you um, 
you can't get away from drama. I remember uh, last time we spoke, oh, that story still sticks in my mind about the man uh, acting very strange on the beach and going into the water with a suit oh, on or something and, the, and then yeah, yeah, the, yeah. a gun in, yeah, pardon the, me, but a gun in his pants. I do apologise. Well, yeah, yeah, a gun in, his, um, in the side of the, the jean pocket underneath yeah, the blue yeah. lapel of the suitcase. Yeah, it was about four yeah. years ago now and yeah. I have I did hear from the local police down at South Melbourne that uh, that fine gentleman has now passed away. So anyway. Oh there you go. He was obviously a very troubled man. And look, I suppose He was but, indeed, yeah. 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 And and look, I I wanted to get on to um a, a few incidents that have been happening with the crashes. I suppose many of us have been uh in some I'm just thinking now about the Hunter Valley uh, wedding bus crash, and I suppose many of us have been probably in exactly the same scenario as that uh, where we've got on a bus but we've got home and back to our accommodation safely. And I just can't imagine the magnitude of a uh, a crash like that. Um, For those who don't know, the bus was ferrying some wedding guests from the ceremony and celebrations to their accommodation nearby and 10 people died in the crash, uh, nine at the scene and one in hospital. So, Pete, having attended so many chaotic and major scenes, I suppose I just want to ask you some generic questions about scenes, not about any particular one because some of them are still in the court system, but generally, can I talk a little bit about the scene? So what are the difficulties facing you as you would arrive at a scene like this that is obviously um, still chaotic, I assume? Oh, yeah, definitely, and probably um, probably a good example and something that has been through the courts um, was you know the Burnley Burnley Tunnel tragedy where where three people incinerated in the Burnley Tunnel in Melbourne um, yes. on uh, Friday the twenty uh, third of March two thousand seven. So you know that that scene when I got there at nine thirty the Western Entrance Tunnel it was absolutely chaotic. You know you got yes. there was something like four hundred people um, there, and amongst those four hundred were people that had been injured. Um, people that were drivers of vehicles that were actually involved in it, in the incident. Uh, there were people that were witnesses, and there was also the uh, the the truck driver, as it turned out, that was the offending driver in the incident. So mm. um, you're making some very very quick decisions about what to do with all those people and and who's going to um, uh, you know deal with. For example, the offending driver. What what mm. needs to be done with him? Mm. What needs to be done with the witnesses? You know, they've got to be all um, separated, and uh, so that mm. their, their yeah. um, account of what has occurred is not clouded by another incident. You know, you want to mm. try and get to them before anybody else has spoken to them, or that, or so you're getting their direct first account of what what they mm. saw and heard, rather mm. than it being um, contaminated by. Um, Questions or what other people have to say. Mm. Um, you know, the the injured parties. You know, you're, you're arranging in conjunction with AV or Ambulance Victoria. You know, where they're going to, what hospitals they're going to, what their details are for, for catching up for later reference. You know, um, all that basic who, what, where, why, how, and when. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, you know, and then that in, in particular with that incident, you know, like because it was in the tunnel system, there's a number. Of camera system so you're looking um to get that 
information from the camera systems as soon as possible to see actually what transpired. Mm. Um, and then, then you would progress further down into, you know, the scene um, and, uh, you know, make a very slow, measured approach to such a big scene to take in and absorb everything that you see on the way in. So, you know, you're looking at the road environment, you're looking at the weather conditions, you're looking at signage, um, you're looking at, uh, you know, the, the characteristics of the road in terms of its its design, its features and all that. And then, you, then you're getting into, you know, the start of any available uh, physical evidence on the road, so which may consist of pre-impact um, tyre skid, Marks, tyre scuff marks, uh, tyre yaw marks, it might be uh, deceleration scuff marks, it might be anti-lock braking system skip skid marks. Um, then you might lead into an impact area where you've got, got scrapes or gouges or change in direction of marks. You've got um, p- potential transfer of um, underbody dirt or oil spatter onto the road surface commencing and, and then you've got that sort of evidence then leading off post-impact to where, um, you know, the vehicles involved have, have finished up. Um, so you're documenting all that evidence with measurements and photographs and um, then you're getting to the vehicle itself and doing a fairly detailed examination of of the vehicle in terms of, you know, where is the damage on it, what type of damage it is, you know, is it contact damage, is it induced damage, um, is it rescue damage, um, yeah. uh, you know, then and you're looking at then detailed examination of wheels and tyres and what condition they're in and, and um, suspension components, steering components, and then you're moving inside the vehicle and looking at, where, what what position are the controls in? What's the steering angle position? What's mm. what's what gear is it in? Um, what light switches are on? Um, what um, radio things might be on? Uh, what is it fitted with CB radio? Is it fitted with mm. you know, all these different things? And you're documenting and noting all that evidence as as you're going along. Um, and so, in particular, so, so Pete, can yeah. I just can I just interrupt there? So. Is this you have arrived at the scene and are you sort of taking all this in as you um, make your way to the actual vehicle or the scene um, and then you go back and, um, what's the word, uh, record it properly? Like I'm just wondering, are you recording it as you go or you just... Yes, yeah, yeah I, okay. I, would, I would have, yep. I would have my... Um well, police diary or notebook, and I'd be writing things down okay. as I went um, mm. and also taking uh, photographs along the way as I make a note. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously more in this day and age, you know, if, you've, if say, for example, the only thing you had was a, a mobile phone, you'd be taking photos on your mobile phone and in the notes part on your mobile mm. phone you'd be making notes of what you're, what you're seeing or you might even be recording yeah. things as you're walking down through the scene and recording what, you, what you're yeah. okay. seeing and, and describing it, yeah. With 400, did you say 400 vehicles? Uh, 400 people there okay. were at the western entrance of the Burnley Tunnel, yeah, so they all had to be sorted out, yeah. Yes, yeah. so and so, Pete, with those, like it is, it sounds like chaos, and it would have been obviously. But who is actually in charge of that scene uh, initially when you get there? Like, do you take over? 
as the MCIU, the Major Collision Investigation Unit, or is it the homicide? Just for the for the listeners, who is actually in charge? Because you must get a lot of, hey, I'm doing this, you're doing that. Like, who runs the show? Obviously, with a um, major motor vehicle collision, um, the emergency management of a motor vehicle collision, the, the um, responsibility or overall control is is the police. Um, if if there was a fire situation or, you know, obviously rescue or treating the injured, obviously that takes priority first. Yeah. Um, so when until that component is done and dusted, then um, so the, the fire brigade, if there's a fire, they would have control at that point in time. Um, yeah. Obviously if there's mass casualties to get out, ambulance would have more of a say in that because the priority is the um, is getting the injured parties out. But once once that aspect or the danger of the fire or a um, you know, the injured parties are, are removed from the scene, then the, the control comes back to the police, the overall management of that scene. So in terms of a major collision, you know, it have outer perimeters. Um, so the outer perimeters, the control of that would be by um, either general duties or the highway patrol. Um, mm. And the inner perimeter, which is the actual uh, scene of the incident itself or where the evidence is, um, the controller that would be um, predominantly in, in, on behalf of uh, the investigating um, police, uh, mm. and if it's a major collision, that would be the major collision investigation unit. So whether it be the sergeant of the team, but if it's a, if it's a multiple fatality, three or more deceased, you'd also have the senior sergeant and the inspector there. So the overall control uh, would come back to um, the inspector, major collision investigation group, if he was in attendance. Mm. If he wasn't, it'd be the senior sergeant. If the senior sergeant's not there, it comes back to the sergeant. So. Okay, right. And did the coroner um, attend this one because of the uh, number of fatalities? Uh, yeah, normally with a, a multiple fatality, um, the, the state coroner uh, will come to the scene too. Um, he might organise... Um, the chief pathologist also to arrive at the scene and you would generally have disaster victim identification involved too um, in terms of you know, tagging um, and identifying uh, uh, the poor deceased people from uh, from the incident, yeah, and getting case numbers so that their identity is confirmed later on down the track. So the MCIU... Uh, in charge of uh, everything once all the uh, injured people have been, you know, um, seen to, taken to hospital, whatever. Um, yep. So, I mean, this is just a, a, an enormous scene. What What is the most challenging part of a, a scene of this magnitude? Oh, with multiple fatalities, um, it's obviously, you know, each... Each person that's unfortunately passed has a story to tell, and it's it's a big onus on on the investigators to establish the truth of what transpired and, and what actually caused the death of that loved one. Mm. Um, so when you're when you're going through the scene, you know, like in particular, um, let's talk about. Uh, Cardross, Small Street Cardross on the 18th of February 06 where the six teenagers were killed. You know, like you're, you're in amongst those six mm-hmm. uh, deceased teenagers and you're, you know, you're trying to establish exactly what's going on and, and mm-hmm. so you're, you're actually 
documenting where they are, how they finished, mm. you know, what what they're wearing. Um, that you're trying to establish their identification, so you, you need to search in terms of ha- have they got any ID on them. You know, if they haven't, then there's other methods that need to be established who they were, um, and then you're trying to establish, you know, what what it was that actually caused caused their death. So that's, and then you know, down the track, you've got you know, the death notifications to be arranged, um, you know, and you've got to relay that information mm-hmm. to the families of the deceased as, you know, it's not an easy not an easy task um, and you're trying to do that with compassion and empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you'll have multiple contacts with those families as, as it progresses through various court proceedings, whether it be committals or trials or uh, mm-hmm. coronial inquest and... Yeah, that's that's probably the most most challenging is dealing with the um, the ripple. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Effect or the emotional mm-hmm. side of yeah. of those events, and over time it does build up. And um, yeah, it, you know, as, as it did in my instance, and uh, yeah, um, 
but it took, you know, obviously it was pretty resilient. Like it was some 2,000 fatalities uh, before yeah. the body basically said, you've had enough's enough, sunshine. It's it's yeah. uh, time to move on sort of thing, yeah. Yeah. And so, Pete, with, um, uh, with the, the death message that you were talking about, that's the worst job, um, I believe, that, uh, well, it's one of the worst jobs that a police person can have. Generally, correct me if I'm wrong here, it is the um, uh, the the div van or somebody that goes and um, does the initial death message. But as a, an MCIU investigator, did you make yourself available to the families or did you try and keep some sort of uh, distance just so that you could... Oh, I don't know, not sort of get too involved with that emotional, psychological side? Uh, so, yeah, it just depends on the circumstances. You know, like so, sometimes that that occurred, but obviously there's always going to be a time somewhere down the track. And, if, you know, like if, for example, it's a, uh, you know, a police police member that would pass. And, and I remember, um, you know, going with uh, Jeff Smith and, and myself, uh, we're going to visit, um, you know, Dot left took Tim's oh, yeah, Tim, uh, Tim, mum yeah. and, and oh. father Tim that was killed on the Western Ring Road. And, yeah. you know, you, you never, you never, ever forget that no. sort of stuff. I could, I could sit down now, like that was 1997, for yeah, memory, long- it was in May. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I could sit down and I could draw a picture of, you know, the house where yeah. Tim's parents were and the room and yeah. and where they were seated and, you know, that's pretty clear memories of all that sort of stuff. Or, yeah. or you know, times when, say, you know, Rennie Page, the policeman that was killed at Vanilla, and mm. um, I, I could still draw a lot of those scenes out without having to refer to any notes or anything. You know, it's still very, very clear memories of those sort of things. Um, yeah. yeah, so they, ne- they never... No. I never leave you altogether. Um, you know, and one of, one of the things with uh, police fatalities in particular is that, um, you know, you've got the Blue Ribbon Foundation and all that and there's, you know, it always pops up mm. on your social media on the, on the day. You know, like last week, for example, the 16th of, yeah. of August was, um, you know, where Gary Silk and Rod were killed in 1998. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, 25 years on. Um, and, you know, and that same day, Anne Brimblecombe, police woman that was killed. So, you know, that that yeah. was, that was certainly, um, you know, certainly on the mind and in the memories on, on those particular days. And you get those little physiological reactions still, but you know what it is and you, you manage it and you move through. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And Pete, uh, I know we're a bit pressed for time today. Uh, I wanted yep. to just talk a little bit about seatbelts. Um, yep. I gather, uh, would I be right in saying you've done a fair few studies regarding seatbelts, or you've certainly got experience at establishing if one was, uh, I don't know, worn or not? I just want to pick your brain. Yeah, yeah, we, we do, yeah you're doing detailed inspection of, of seatbelts that are involved in vehicles and crashes, and you're, and you're looking for those telltale signs on them to see whether they've um, been loaded up or not in, in a collision. Um, generally, you'll get you know, stretching marks of fibres or you get uh, transfer of evidence on the on the metal tongue. Mm. Um, on the on the on the person that's been involved in the crash, you'll have some sort of medical evidence or autopsy mm. down the track that would show um, telltale signs where the seatbelts have been worn 
or not. Um, and, and generally, if the seatbelt has been worn before somebody's been extracted, normally the ambulance service or the rescue service will will do a clean cut through the seatbelt webbing and you'll still find that they're, they're buckled in um, most time. Whereas, okay. you know, if, if they haven't been, they're still all in peace and still in their retracted position and, and no sign of every evidence of uh, loading or, mm. or damage on them and, and, and the body uh, or the injured party won't have any um, telltale phys- physical signs on their body because, as we know, every contact leaves its trace. Uh, yeah. Um, so enforcing compliance with seatbelt laws on buses um, is a pretty grey area. Uh, who do you believe should be responsible for ensuring they're worn properly? Well, ultimately for seatbelts fitted, the individual in that seat is required to, you know, wear that seatbelt and have it properly fastened and adjusted. Um, obviously, if the person's under 18, uh, the onus comes back on the driver to make sure that's done. Mm-hmm. Um, if if the person's over 18, the onus or responsibility is the person themselves. So, um, yeah, in passenger cars like, you know, your, your standard family sedan, we've got all seatbelt reminder systems uh, in the modern car now that um, tells you when uh, they're not buckled in and will beep until they mm-hmm. are buckled in. Um, mm-hmm. That's something that's not as I'm aware, currently um, in your passenger coaches. Passenger coaches have had um, a requirement to have seatbelts in them oh, for quite a while now. It was, was after the Wangaratta coach disaster where the 10 people were killed on Melbourne Cup Day 1993 and the, mm-hmm. the Boondle bus crash that Johnny Ruler, my counterpart in Queensland, AIS went to that we went up to Canberra um, and spoke in regards to those incidents. And that's, that was after that that the mandatory fitting of seatbelts um, through Australian design rules came about in passenger coaches, but not necessarily in your general commuter bus. So um, if you're you know, catching the bus to the station or something like that, generally that mm. bus that travels down your side street to the local train station won't have seatbelts fitted. Um, I know when my kids went through primary school, um, the local primary school, if a bus turned up that didn't have seatbelts fitted, they'd actually turn it away and request one that a coach that did have them fitted. So, mm. yeah, then you got your smaller buses like twelve seaters and all that. They've all they've had seatbelts fitted in for ages, and um, not everybody wears them though. And the problem is, if you don't wear them, um, for example, if I said to you, Narelle, go and run into that wall in that room you're in at fifteen kilometres per hour. Um, you wouldn't do it, mm. and the reason you wouldn't do it because it's going to bloody hurt. Mm. Well, you know, even and in terms of human impact tolerance, once we get to thirty kilometres per hour, fifteen out of a hundred, hundred of us are going to die if that with that sudden stop from thirty. And if it's up to forty, it's fifty out of a hundred. And as soon as it gets to fifty, it's eighty-five out of a hundred is going to die at that. With a sudden stop, those speeds. So, the idea of the seatbelt is to keep you restraining and and gets you to slow down with the slowing of the vehicle, um, and you don't have that sudden internal stop um, inside the vehicle because you you know if you're unrestrained, you're loose and you're projected about, and then you're hitting something stiff inside the vehicle and uh, not riding it down with the crush. Um, of, of the vehicle itself, you're having a very, very sudden internal stop when you fly into whatever object you hit. If everyone was wearing seatbelts, clearly there would be 
uh, a lot fewer deaths. Like they obviously clearly save lives, and a lot of them. Oh, yeah, they've been around for a long time, Narell, and uh, unfortunately the road toll this year, there's been quite a, I think some figures I looked at was looking at around about something like 20, 20% um, of those killed in fatalities in vehicles haven't been wearing a seatbelt. And, like, mate, this is stuff that came in back in the, you know, lap belts came in the in the late 60s. They yeah. were mandatory to be worn and fitted you know, from 1973 in passenger cars in Australia, there's been so many advances and why, mm. why the hell? And, and you see people that don't wear them properly, you know, they don't wear them over their shoulder. Mm. Um, you know, they have them underneath their armpit and, and that's no good, you know. It's, it's just not, um, not, you know, <laughs> why? Why would you do that? They're there to save your life. I'd have to say, Pete, would you, this is generalising, but would you say most of the people that don't wear seatbelts would be young? Oh, no, I wouldn't, okay. I wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't say that. Yeah, I think it's um, a bit of a mixture still, yeah. God. Not from my observations anyway. Okay. But, uh, yeah, like I'm saying, maybe I'm, um, uh, well, obviously I'm generalising because I don't know, but um, we've had an incident here in Victoria recently involving a bus with uh, 46 students on board. Yeah. You know, you talk about the Burnley uh, Tunnel incident with 400 people, but I imagine with any incident involving that number of children, that would, uh, the level of chaos would just uh, go through the roof because, you know, you've got parents uh, and apparently this happened right near the school. So, like, I, I just, I can't, get, I can't get my head around how traumatic that would be as an investigator to try and reassure people or tell them not to go near, you know, people are just want to, Go and see their kids, aren't they? I mean, how do you stop? Yeah, them? well, look, look at at the at the time. You know, in, in, when you're at one of those instances, you, you're running off pure adrenaline and cortisol, and you know, and you're making you you got the ability to make some pretty yeah pretty amazing decisions at the time and do some pretty amazing things. And it's um it's not until you know you come back home or or later on that you you sort of reflect on. Mm. Wow, what did I just go to? Yeah, what did I just do? Yeah, you know, like it's um, but it, it, you know, you do you do manage to control and manage even even a big scene like that. But it's it's sort of afterwards where you go, wow, yeah, yeah. yeah. How did, how have you found media? Uh, with your the incidents that you've attended, and I'm not having a go at media here. Well, I probably seem like I am a bit, but they can be of great assistance. You know, helping in locate witnesses and vehicles, but they can yeah. also cause. In my instance, they have caused immeasurable damage to an investigation because they contaminate witnesses. They get them before we get to them. I'm just wondering how have you found the media? I suppose they'd help you because you're trying to find dash cam or, yeah, or witnesses or whatever. Yeah, the, look, the media, uh, yeah, there's pros and cons to the media. Um, hmm. Yeah, they can they can be a valuable asset in an in investigation and, and I try to, you know, 
generally they're, they're fairly good people. Um, obviously, occasionally get, get the one that's sort of trying to make their career and, and, and <laughs> probably dive down, down some tunnels that they probably shouldn't dive down. And, uh, yeah. Um, you know, sometimes a, a nice quiet chat <laughs> sets them back in the right direction. But, yeah, they can they can bring up, dust up some stuff that sort of, you know, does, uh, does add some ambiguity or, um, yeah, yeah. you know, does cause some dramas in investigation and then you've got to go down a, a certain path to cover that aspect and, and find the truth of that aspect. Um, which which does take more time and resources when that does occur, but generally, you know, especially in the hit run fatal, trying to uh, you know media assistance to um, you know locate an offending vehicle is invaluable to yeah. get that message out. It is, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, and this this day and age, it's all you always sort of thing. Oh, has anybody got any dash cam footage? Or, mm-hmm. you know, it seems mm-hmm. to be the, the standard line these days. But yeah. Mm. What about um, you were talking before about going to a number of police uh, fatalities. Uh, that would be a very, very uh, difficult job to do. What would your advice to members attending those scenes be, attending a scene of a colleague? Uh, yeah, well, it's never never an easy task and it's particularly at MCIU was something that we had, had to do. Um, yeah, and you... At the time when you when you're doing it, you as I said, you're running off that adrenaline cortisol, and you're doing the job that you have to do. And it's it's down the track or afterwards that you start reflecting on on mm-hmm. those sort of things. You know, like um, you know, 20, 20 police officer deaths that I went to. Like you know, you relate that back to let, let's say I was a soldier in World War One in a trench, and twenty of my mates were killed in one bomb blast or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's you know it's it's spread out over time, but it's it's that sort of thing. And, and you know, generally, quite a few of those you you knew from your careers. You know, like even there was one where um, I actually did you know the statement of ID for the coroner. Um, you know, and then you go back to like the four from Benalla Police Station that I went to, and uh, you know, I went back during the head-to-head walk in 2018 to set up police veterans, Victoria, and you see those, you know, memorials out front of the police station there and you go, well, you know, I went went to all them. Or you go to the police memorial wall and you see them all there and, yeah, priorities, you really got to sort of look after yourself, mate, you know. So if you are struggling, um, you know, go and see your GP, have a chat or, or, or do some de- psychological debrief debriefing about what you've been to and, and, and let it out of your system and, and try and, you know, attend maybe the funerals or things like that to let those emotions come out of your body rather than boxing them up. Mm. Yeah, that's really good advice. We've, um, it would be nice if we would have had that, uh, what do you call it, hindsight, wouldn't it, Pete, to um, yeah. look after ourselves properly because we didn't and we lost Mm. I don't know. I don't know about you, but the best job I ever had. Yeah. Yeah. yeah look, I, I love doing what I was doing. Don't worry about that. But um, yeah, you just you literally get to the point where your body says, "I can't do this anymore," and that's what happens. And yeah, yeah. and yeah. Yeah. yeah, and like even 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 just um, you know the gunner matter 
job with life saving um, early this year. You know, like you're there with the family when they called the search off and they had a ceremony and yeah, pretty full on. But mm-hmm. it was good to be involved in that little ceremony and let mm-hmm. let that emotional release out about you know you've been down there for four or five days trying to help find uh, you know a loved family member that um, mm-hmm. has the is taken away. So yeah. It must give you enormous satisfaction, like you you can't do policing anymore, but it sounds like uh, your life-saving career, let's say, has sort of filled a bit of a void because you're still involved to a degree, but certainly not, um, you know, every single shift you're facing some sort of trauma. Uh, you, it's It must be very rewarding. Yeah, well, generally the life-saving, you know, it's a positive experience, sunlight, water, yeah. people having fun. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. The, the, down, the downside of it is fairly minor in terms of in comparison to what I was doing in the past. Um, yeah, but with life-saving, you know, we're, we're doing a lot more, we do a lot more preventative stuff um, yeah. and the idea is that, you know, we, we're, we're there to prevent aquatic-related death and injury and at the same time develop and mentor and create great young Australians. So it's a fairly positive movement, positive environment. So, yeah, it's ticked the boxes for me um, post-policing, yeah. Yeah. And just uh, how are you these days, Pete? Last time I spoke to you, you uh, were really struggling with um, psoriasis and uh, a fair few pretty serious health issues. How's the health these days, the mental health, I mean? and Well, and... Oh, yeah. Well, it's mental and physiological. Yeah, it's still yeah. it's still ongoing management. You know, I, I still, you know, that one a.m. two a.m. period each night. I, I, you know, I get hot and sweaty. Mm. Wake up. Normally, yeah. get up and do a bit of stretching, um, bit of meditation. Go back to yeah. sleep. You know, sort of thing. Psoriasis is still there. It's um, probably around about uh, more than twenty percent of the body's got it on. But you know, that's. Ongoing management. I've tried tried everything to get rid of it, and but the best thing is the sunlight, salt water, and um, mm. on the skin. And uh, yeah, um, mm. it's it is there, and manage it the, as best as I can, and trying to keep doing positive things in life. Oh, look, you are Pete. When you consider what you do, you know, for as you say, to teach people. Not, and I'm thinking little kids, but it's not just little kids. A lot of adults learn to swim when they get older as well but it must be very very rewarding and thank goodness you've found something uh that you know you you love just nearly i imagine as much as policing As you've probably noticed, we've moved to a new platform called ACAST. I think that's the right expression, I've got no idea. And my previous reviews haven't transferred over. I need reviews. (laughs) Could you do me a favour and put up a review? And thank you so much for your support and patronage. With your help, I can give you that little bit extra. Thanks. up 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.